Merry Christmas, Cap City Church. Okay, I just, Merry just, just a mic. I, you did a good job. I just didn't know if I did. Um, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the lyrics to a song called Christmas Bells. We know it. It's an old classic. We're not getting ready to sing it, but I felt inclined to share some of the lyrics with you this morning. Um, as it's not too frequent that we get to be together on Christmas morning in church. We haven't done so in six years, and the next time that we do it will be 11 years from now. Our Christmas falls on a Sunday. But Henry wrote a song about peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And in the second verse of that song, he said, There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But then he goes on in the next verse to say, then rang the, bow, the bells more loud and clear. God is not dead. He does not sleep. God is not dead. He said for... Hate will fail, love will prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I think this morning as I was spending time with the kids, as you can imagine, we were up bright and early, we were reading the Bible, we were opening presents, and I was looking over the sermon. We're in church together every Easter, and uh, it's a great morning to be in church Easter morning as a pastor to come in and be excited and celebrate the resurrection. That's always what Easter Sunday is all about. But there is no resurrection without the cross. There is no cross without the manger. But there is peace today because Jesus is born, because God is alive. And there is peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We're going to focus a lot on peace and joy and love this morning and what it means for us to be together. I'm so glad that you braved the elements, the cold, and the roads to be with us. We've got a great service planned. Uh, the gang's going to lead us here in joy to the world. Uh, I think one of my favorites is singing church on Christmas. So we'll invite you to stand. We're going to sing just a couple songs before we get into the sermon. We've got communion today. We've got baptism. Just going to be a great place to, to be together this morning. So hopefully you can just settle in. If you've been busy this week, if you've been cold, if you've been frustrated, if you've been sick, hopefully you're well and uh, be together celebrating the birth of Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning that we can be in your house together on the day that we celebrate your birth. We're thankful that you are not dead, that you do not sleep. God, you came to this earth that it was a very dark time and you came to shine light, Lord, and in the same way you can enter into our lives and overcome the darkness and shine the light. So Lord, we pray that as we enter into this time of worship that we could express that as we sing the words to this song that are not just a Christmas carol or something that's familiar from our childhood, but instead that we would recognize that your coming to the earth is truly joy to all the world and should be joy in each one of our lives. Thank you for this people, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Joy to the world, the 
As we think about how uh, chaotic the last couple of days have been, just between weather, uh, last minute shopping that people may have had, just it, it seems like there's a lot of chaos that has transpired uh, just in the, in the last 24, 48 hours, if you will. But if we just kind of strip all that and just take a moment, and I, I actually had to do, do this myself yesterday, just overwhelmed with the 50 different things that we have to worry about, to do in, in the coming days, today, whatever it may be. I had to like just stop and tell myself, this isn't what this is about. <laughs> it, it is so easy to get fixated on everything that we feel like we have to do. A, a lot of which is kind of self-induced. And it's ironic because this is really, it should be a time of peace, that we consider the one who came down so that we may have peace in times of uncertainty, in times of trial, when we feel like our back is against the wall. That is one of the pieces that Christ represents. So we're just going to sing this next song, and it talks just about that, that Jesus is peace. Jesus. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I see a tow truck backing up to my car, I'm in full sprint. My volume's probably up. I'm waving my arms. I know when they hook that, they put that hook under my bumper that there's a fee that immediately applies that I have to pay to get it off. But again, he didn't seem very surprised. So maybe you aren't all as nosy as I am, but I know that you are. And I wanted to know what was happening. So thankfully... The characters in the story would willingly provide the details I needed as we exited the restaurant and went back out to our vehicle. It turns out that the person having his car towed had over $400 in unpaid parking tickets from the last five years. And his license plate had expired in the summer of 2021. And of course, because poor Allison is married to a pastor, she had to immediately hear me relate this story to this message. How can someone ignore five years of parking tickets and still have any peace? Yeah. Now, now that's just me and, that, and that's just them. Some, somebody might be going, well, I got more than that. Like, I don't know. I don't know your business. I'm glad I don't. I hope you don't go around bragging about how long you, it's been since you've paid your parking tickets. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately... To be able to ignore something like that for an extended amount of time means that we must be willing or able to find our peace in something else or a synthetic form of peace. Perhaps more correctly, we learn to distract ourselves so we can ignore the lack of peace that we have with others 
and with God. This could be a hobby, this could be entertainment, amusement, it could be a substance, it could be a career, but really anything that keeps us from recognizing that the peace that is missing from our lives is a result of not being at peace with God and others. That takes work, that takes surrender, that takes forgiveness, that takes reconciliation, and sometimes it's just easier to flip on the tube. Sometimes it's easier to grab something out of the fridge. Sometimes it's easier to just avoid and abandon our situation. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, we push peace around, ignoring different areas in our life where we don't have peace, ignoring areas in our past that are still unreconciled. Like the parking tickets, we can think about what areas we might compartmentalize, but we all know that the penalty that he paid Thursday morning in Athens was far greater than being at peace with those parking tickets, right? So anyways, we want to get into the story, but I wanted us to set the stage a little bit with us thinking about how frequently we avoid different areas of our life so that we don't have to manage them and we miss out on the greater peace that the Bible will call beyond comprehension that we can't understand. So when we think of peace embodied in the Christmas story, we can't help but think of the shepherds. That's where we get the news. And they were the unlikely recipients of God's message of peace. I'm sure most of us grew up watching Linus recite a Charlie Brown Christmas when he tells Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. If you're a good Christian, you watched that movie this week, right? Um, it's a great moment in TV history, but long before TV was imagined, it was, in, it was inspired writing by the Apostle Luke in chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And now we'll go ahead and read our text. Luke 2, verse 8 says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherd began saying one to another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see the things that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. There's so much that we could preach or, or learn from these few paragraphs in Luke. For starters, this is like God's birth announcement to the world. This was way bigger than any gender reveal party that we've ever had or ever going to come up with. And what a way to announce a long-awaited event that happened in such an unexpected way. Suddenly, in the middle of a dark and ordinary night in the Bethlehem countryside, an angel appears in the sky and is then joined by a sky full of angels. You ever kind of see somebody, like uh, some of you would probably see somebody walking down the hallway realize, and, and know that they don't know that you're there, and you would probably spook them on purpose because you're such nice people, right? Like, hey, I could mess with this person a little bit. You know what I'm talking about. But it's 
But maybe you're a little bit more careful sometimes if it's somebody you care about and you go, hey, I don't want to spook them. I'm going to ease up on them. Like I'm going to kind of, I did that to Scott this morning in the hallway. We were back here in the hallway. He walked out of the door. I walked over behind him. I said, hey, Scott. And I could see him jumping. Scott, Scott's a pretty calm guy. And I was like, I'm sorry, Scott. I should have been thinking. You probably didn't expect anybody to come up from behind you in this empty hallway. But I feel like God even helped these shepherds out a little bit by just letting there be one angelic creature that showed up. And then once they kind of got comfortable with that, here came like a thousand, right? That wouldn't be any big deal. The New Living Translation called the angels that night the armies of heaven. And it's hard to imagine just how magnificent and bright, but at the same time, how terrifying and glorious a sight that must have been. I think that the story from that night leads us into a few helpful insights about our own encounters with God's peace. Our first thought this morning is that peace comes in our darkest hour. Allison and I sat in our living room last night as we reminisced about having all of our family over for Christmas Eve. And you can know that we've spent the last handful of Christmases traveling back and forth. And I, you might understand that when, one person, when you're called from one place to another, a lot of times you feel as though you're no longer in the right place anymore before God takes you to the new place. Right? So God called us to Cap City, and so we were being called away from somewhere else. And she looked at me and said, if you would have told me a year ago that I would have been sitting in my house on Christmas Eve and have, would have just been with all my family and hosting and having such a good time, it would have been hard to believe. Sometimes when it's hardest for us to see the picture of what God's going to do is when he does his greatest work. A couple weeks ago, a pastor asked me how I was doing. And my reply was that things were going pretty good. To which he replied, yeah, we just need to get through Christmas. I thought, get through it. I don't exactly think about the celebration of the coming Savior as something that I have to get through. But perhaps it's, if we're honest, that's how some of us feel. We might choose words like busy or hectic or, frank or frantic. Colton did a good job at just saying sometimes we need to stop and say, what's this really all about? Maybe it's an overloaded schedule that robs you of your peace. Or maybe it's something more. Maybe it's relational conflict. Maybe it's pressure at work. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe it's dealing with the cold and flu season that we've seen be so heavy this year. But you name it, we have plenty of options to choose for when we think about the things that divert our attention from being at perfect peace with God. For many of us, peace seems like it's a long way off. But peace has a way of showing up in the darkest hours when our life feels threatened and peace and hope and joy seem like they're nowhere to be found. He is there with us and loves us and provides a way forward when we seem lost and the way forward is totally unclear. Our darkest hour is when God appears. This is where Christ is born. This is where the angels show up. In the middle of Israel's dark night of Roman oppression and centuries of suffering and wondering, where is God? In the middle of a world turned upside down for a young Jewish couple who have found themselves at the center of cosmic events while at the same time trying to navigate the normal life realities of paying their dues by traveling by foot across the country to be counted by the government and having to experience childbirth for the first time far from home, not in another state or a less than hospital, but outside in a barn. And in all of those circumstances, in all of these struggles, this is where God showed up. 
And this is where God continues to show up for us in our pain, in our fears, in our confusion, in our grief, in our loss, and in our uncertainty. I don't know every hardship you're facing today or every wince of pain that you're feeling, but God does. He is there bringing peace to calm your heart, to heal your body, to bring peace that defies your circumstances. And that's our second thought this morning. Peace defies our circumstances. With many of our circumstances, other people can't always relate. And if you're going to be an unofficial counselor of other Christian people, by that I mean if you're going to sit around and do your very best to avoid gossiping and try to help each other, there's no one's shoes that you've ever walked in. You might have similarities, but you'll never know the extent of every circumstance that they've encountered in this life. Every single one of us has walked a different journey. And I know how unfair it can seem sometimes, but let me encourage you that there is peace that is deeper. There is a peace that defies your circumstances. In the face of all you're feeling and all you've gone through, God's peace might not make sense, but it's real. From the time we were little kids, we sang about how we had joy, 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 joy down in our heart. And then we talked about how we had peace that passes understanding down in our heart. And so many things we sing as a child, we don't maybe understand it. But as you become an adult, if you're fortunate enough, you've experienced a peace that doesn't make any sense. A peace when you see everything in your world around you and you feel like you're alone, when you feel like there's chaos, when you feel like you don't know how you're going to make it, but the Holy Spirit shows up in a magnificent way and brings peace to your life. He heals through his peace. It can guard our heart from the continuing wounds and it can protect our minds from the onslaught of anxiety. The Apostle Paul describes the process of gaining peace like this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me encourage each of us today that no matter what we are facing that this process begins with us turning to God, bringing our hurts, our questions, our doubts, and our needs to him. Let me tell you this this morning, church. He knows the deepest desires of your hearts. He knows the things that seem impossible, the things that you don't think can be overcome, the, the situations or circumstances that you don't think can change, and he cares about that. He cares about those desires. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, he is working all those things together. It doesn't say for his good. It says for your good. He cares about your good today. And I don't pretend to fully understand it, but there is power in prayer and transformation that grows from gratitude. It's not the power of getting what we want or convincing God to see things our, our way. It's so much more than that. Through the power of prayer, we can experience peace as our perspective changes and we are reminded that God is with us no matter what. He's got this. He can be trusted and he is enough. Until you understand that he is enough, nothing else will be. And that's our third point on peace today. He is enough. Peace is a person. Peace 
is a person. Now, God's grace and his judgment work hand in hand. There is no peace without resolution. I wrote some stuff down, and I don't know how much of it I'll say because this is just so near and dear to my heart. You need to resolve the unresolved issue in your life. The sin. The broken relationship. The unhappiness with the situation in your life that can be changed. You are not trapped in your circumstances. You are not trapped in where you live, where you work. I won't say you're trapped in your marriage, but you stay in your marriage, right? (laughs) There's so many circumstances And God wants you to seek resolution. He wants you to have reconciliation. No matter how difficult it might be in the moment, he will be there. You need to understand that the enemy will speak guilt and shame and doubt into your life to keep you from speaking to people and reconciling and resolving things because he knows that when you do that, he loses and sin loses all of its power. If we aren't at peace... Well, let's, many of us might, I don't know where you go when you think of peace, but I think it started when I was a kid. We would walk around saying peace in the Middle East, right? And you'd throw up a peace sign. It was during Desert Storm. But many of us, when we think of peace, we relate it to war. And there's a reason because if you're at peace, you're not at war. And if you're at war, you're not at peace. And so when we say we have no peace, if we aren't at peace, then we are at war with God, struggling with God, out of sync, out of rhythm. Then there is no rest and there is no peace. But God has given us peace through a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And the only way that we have peace with God is through a relationship with his son who was born on that first Christmas day. It all comes back to a person. Peace is Jesus. In the Old Testament book of Micah, when the birth of a king was foretold in Bethlehem, we are told that he would be great to the ends of the earth, and he would be the embodiment of our peace. The prophet Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, and Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, Jesus himself is our peace. I'm going to invite Colton to come. We're going to move around a little bit here in the service. We're going to uh, sing another song here in just a second and give you some time to prepare for communion. But I'd like you to answer some questions internally this morning. What is your current status relationship with God? One of my fears, though you all know that I'm not on social media, I'm still aware of some, the way some of it works. I'm afraid that within the Christian community, for too many, their relationship status with God is complicated. It's not in relationship, it's not married to, it's complicated. I want to be associated with, I want you to know I'm not interested in any other gods, but it's not exactly what it should be. Are you at odds with God? Is there any conflict? Are you at peace with God? Is there, if not, what part of you is at war with him? Are you at peace with people? Romans 12, 18 says, for as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all mankind. That's a challenging verse because it doesn't say, be at peace with people that are willing to be at peace with you. Be at peace with people who will say they're sorry or say they forgive you. It says all mankind. But we also have to know that we cannot be at odds with others and say that we have peace with God. As we move towards a time of taking communion together, many of you have encouraged me that you are thankful for the time that I've given you to pray and to prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Often during 
a time like this, we, we quote verses about taking communion in a worthy manner. But if you've heard today's message, the prayers we prepare our hearts and our minds and find those areas of our life that need to be reconciled as we think about taking communion, the prayer for preparation today is simply this, Lord, am I at peace with you in every area? We're so, so guilty of it. Abby reminded me this morning of a conversation we kind of had from the pulpit and during a sermon during revival. She reminded me of how in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we emphasize the fact that God was talking to Solomon about his people and our wicked ways. I'm not going to ask you if you're at peace with God this morning. I'll rephrase that and say, what area of your life is not at peace with God? Can you answer the question, Lord, am I at peace with others? Scripture teaches us that bringing our gift to the altar when we have an issue with another person is worthless. It says our prayers hit the ceiling. Your sacrifice doesn't matter and neither does your prayer life. But instead go and make peace as much as it depends on you. It doesn't matter how much they've hurt you. It's not about them. It's about you. It's about you. And then... Let all sin this morning be confessed. Man, I hope, I hope you have a practice in your life of confessing sin before God. It's such an important practice to come before him and say, Lord, examine me. Search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Create in me a clean heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. These are prayers that are important to, that should be a, a, a staple in the life of a Christian. And let repentance be sincere as you seek communion with him on this morning where we look to remember him. So I'm going to ask you to stand. They're going to sing a song, and we're intentionally not going to give you the lyrics. You can sing with them as you know it. But because we want you to pray. The altars are open. It's not a time to say that you've done anything wicked or horrible or people are going to judge me for coming to the altar, but simply to say, I just want to come and pray so that as we enter into a time of communion, I can say, God, I want to make sure everything's right between you and me today. So, Father, we, we pray that as we, as we transition into a time of remembering you, that you would help us to just be willing and open and honest and obedient. God, I, I didn't ask anybody in here to confess sins to anybody else. God, you already know our innermost parts. So, Lord, help us to be honest with you. Through confession, Lord, we're saying to you that we recognize the sin. We recognize the places that need cleaned up. We recognize the lack of peace. And we know that when we acknowledge those things to you, Lord, that then you can take over and you can do the work that you want to do in our life. Help us be surrendered, God. Help us to be obedient as we lift our prayers to you this morning. In Jesus' name.
let you go ahead and have a seat. Um, I will ask if if you we've we tried to catch everybody and get the elements, the cup, and the bread. I've got people looking right now. If you don't have the elements and you'd like to take communion, could you just slip your hand up? And we've got people walking all over. We'll get those to you quick. Um, good. I think we got most everybody. Ladies, keep looking for me. Got a couple hands up there still. As they're finding you. Um, I spent a lot of time meditating on communion this week, maybe more so even than the message. We, we as human beings are distinguished from all other living beings by one fact that we seldom consider. There's more than one fact, but one we rarely consider. We're the only creature who builds tombs. We're defined by different things from the, from the animals. We're, we're defined as one who laughs or who uses tools or invents things or makes fire or thinks or speaks. But we're the only creature who builds graves. Mankind has always wanted to be remembered. I mean, I, just by show of hands, anybody in here like to be forgotten? As far back as humans have existed, there are markers of graves dumbly seeking to keep alive a faded fact. The remains of tombs are, are more ancient than the remains of dwelling places. We build the monuments to our death to last longer than the places where we live. We'll do anything as human beings to keep from being forgotten. It's a sweet thing to be remembered. And it's a bitter thing to be forgotten. This week I thought of, if we as mortals are distraught at the thought of being forgotten, how much more the master of mortals must have felt. Jesus knew what was in us. He knew our tendency to forget. Especially among the distractions of a material world that we can touch and see. The world, if you don't know this, continues to play to our senses because the more time we spend with things that we can touch and feel and see, maybe the less we'll think about those eternal things that we cannot. But Jesus also knew that unless he was remembered, his desire to be remembered wasn't selfish. Jesus knew that unless he was remembered and taught to others that the hope of Christianity would perish from the earth. And I hope over these next couple minutes you'll consider when you think about what it means to leave a legacy, that you'll think much, much more about the life that you live in front of others for Jesus than anything else. Jesus never built a monument to himself. He would have never let his name be put on a sign to show how much he donated to a church. We have no record that he ever wrote a word except perhaps when he scribbled in the sand. Yet he yearned to be remembered. I don't know if we're allowed to say that Jesus had yearning, but it seems like he was pretty adamant in the upper room that they remembered him. He felt and uttered as no other ha has done the heart's deep, truest protest against being forgotten. So he left us the most marvelous memorial. 
as he sat in the upper room with his loved ones that night, that darkening Thursday night, and made his last request, he took the bread and the wine and he said, eat and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Don't build me a tomb that will crumble. But instead, as long as harvest will bring bread to the land and water covers the face of the earth, Christ will have a new monument. As long as we exist in this physical body, he gave us an example that we could follow to bring our memory back to him. So in a way, he built a monument through his church, through all of us. When bread fails and life goes out, then the memory of him won't be important anymore because we'll be with him. But until bread fails, Christ's memorial is sure. It's interesting to think that Jesus did not say in those last words, I think about what we would have all said in that upper room. Trust me. Have faith in me. Hope in me. Love me. But Jesus knew that you could not trust, you could not believe, you could not hope, and you could not love what memory fails to represent to you. But when you do remember him as you should, you'll never fail to trust, to believe, to hope, and to love. Christ calls us to remember him. He knew that he was most worthy of remembrance. You've heard me talk a lot over the last few months about how so many of our problems stem from an incorrect view of who Jesus is. When we remember Jesus, it means we're forgetting about a lot of other things. When we remember Jesus, we forget about our anxiety. When we remember Jesus, we forget about our fear. When we remember Jesus, we forget about our loneliness. When we remember Jesus, we forget about that sin. Because Jesus knew that those who would remember him most would become most like him. We're taught, the scriptures teach us, we're taught this today through science, but we're taught that as we think, that is what we will become. Scriptures told us that a long time ago. As a man thinks in his heart, that he will also be. So when Jesus shot for those last words at the Last Supper, he wanted your mind to be on him. Because he knew that as much time as you spent thinking on him, the better chance he would have of us being a representative of the Christian faith. And so I'll invite you, if you haven't, to open your top peel. You can do the second one if you'd like as well. But so many of us that are partaking in this this morning, we know the passages and how Jesus gave instructions. And I won't go directly to those passages this morning, but instead I'll repeat that thought I shared with you from just a moment ago. As long as there is bread or physical sustenance, bread was their life. You get that, right? There was no Pizza Hut. There were no chicken wings. All the important things in life, right? Bread was a symbol of livelihood. It's what was provided to keep the people alive. So while we have stuck to the idea of bread and the, the cup at communion, you have to remember they were taking a Passover meal. He was talking about that whole meal. He wasn't just talking 
about this and this. He was talking about when you gather to celebrate, when you gather to celebrate the sustenance that I provided for you, remember me. And so as long as we have the ability to sustain ourselves physically, the memory of Christ and the sacrifice of his body will serve as a reminder that he is Lord, that his work on the cross is still sure today and that we can have new life in him. Let's take the bread together. We talked a lot about peace today. And I know this sounds kind of backwards, but it's a little bit of the work of a preacher. My hope is that God revealed some chaos in your life today that's how we find our way to peace is to ask Jesus to speak into those areas of our life where the chaos needs to go away Isaiah 26 teaches us that God will keep us at perfect peace when we keep our mind fixed on him church I've told you if you come to me for counseling you're going to have to deal with me not judging you so much but at least evaluating some of the spiritual disciplines in your life If you don't have peace today, you're thinking about other things way more than Jesus. Pretty easy. I mean, Christianity is supposed to be easy in principle. It's living it out that might be a little challenging sometimes. If you come to me, hey, I'm anxious. Hey, there's chaos. Hey, I'm afraid. Well, let's think about Jesus a little bit more. I know, I know. Pastor, you're oversimplifying it. It's not that easy. I'm not saying it doesn't take some work. I'm not telling you there's not going to be spiritual warfare there when you go to seek that peace, when you go to get into his word. But Psalm, Psalm 119 teaches us that those who love his law, his word, are blessed, and there's nothing that can offend them. And whether you realize it or not, so much of what's wrong in your life is you're offended. You're offended by the pain. You're offended by the challenges of life. You're offended by the job. You're offended by family. You're offended by friends. But I'm telling you, when we talk about a peace that passes all understanding, nobody can mess up your business. Because I have the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Colossians 1.20 tells us that through Jesus Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. Communion can be a source of peace as we allow our minds to be fixed on the gift of God that we receive through the precious blood of Christ. There's a lot of talk in the church world today not in our church. There's plenty of good churches out there still, for sure. I, I don't like to beat up on the church. I'm a big fan of the church. But there have been conversations about saying, maybe we should talk about the blood a little bit less. And I can't reconcile that idea when God used the blood to reconcile everything to himself. We are reconciled and thankful this morning for the precious blood of Jesus. And so just this morning as we remember his birth, we remember his death. We remember the blood and his resurrection power that allows us to have eternity with him. Let's take the cup together.
we're going to transition one more time here uh, in the service, and I've got a different role. I'm looking around. I had different candidates, certain candidates to get baptized this morning. They didn't have to be voted in or anything. I hope you know that means that they were just going to be baptized. Um, some weather might have kept some people away. I'm not sure. But as far as I know, there's still one seven-year-old that shares the same last name with me that's going to be baptized this morning. So we're definitely still going to baptize. Um, and so I'm going to go find my boys, and we're going to baptize Benjamin this morning. Um, and I'm going to invite our ushers at this time. We've got a lot of moving parts right now. We're going to invite our ushers to come right now. And our ushers are going to go ahead and receive the tithes and offerings as Colt leads you in, the song, in this song. And as we think about just kind of wrapping up our Christmas morning service uh, today, uh, you can sit and worship. You can stand and worship. Our altars are always open. Uh, you can certainly worship through giving today. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, you can take freedom after. Let's wait until they finish singing. But you can position yourself wherever you'd like to, to, to view the baptism and be a part of that as well. Let me pray a blessing over the offering over you, and then uh, we'll jump in the baptistry here. Father, we thank you this morning that you sent your son. You didn't have to, but you loved us. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice that you made. Thank you for choosing Mary and Joseph, God, for their obedience, Lord, for the models that you've given us throughout time of obedience throughout the Bethlehem story. And now, Lord, as, as we transition into uh, this time of baptism and a continued time of worship, I simply want to pray 2 Thessalonians 3.16 over this group of people. May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Merry Christmas.
came to me out of bed one night, one night last week, and said that he needed to be baptized. And uh, some of you, some of you, as a seven-year-old, some of you might say that's too young. Some of you might say that's no big deal. There's so many different opinions. And as I looked at different scriptures this week, I realized something for those of you that are parents who might be on the fence. I realized that while I want my child to be cognizant of what's going on, at the same time, I want to be careful to ever get in the way of what the Holy Spirit's saying to my children. I don't want to ever assume, I don't want to become someone too quickly that despises youth, as Paul wrote to Timothy. But instead, to always be ready to listen to them. They, I learn more from them maybe than I do any, any other adults. Um, and I don't want to go on and on because Ben's been faithful and obedient. And I know he's here and ready to do what God asked him to do. But I will share with you that last night, before we went to bed, I asked him if he was ready for today, and he said, yeah, he goes, I want to get baptized. I think it'll be a great Christmas or a great birthday present for Jesus. Um, <laughs> so Ben and I have talked, and uh, he has given his life to Jesus, and he understands what that means, uh, and his brother, his brother Luke and his roommate, um, is who he wanted in the tub with him help out so I think it's a pretty cool thing that he gets to be in here with his brother and his dad to do this so um, I'm lucky I got through the sermon day this is kind of all I've been thinking about this morning so uh, hopefully you were able to bear with me but you all just pray along with me as we pray for Benjamin and the call that God has on his life father we thank you this morning for Benjamin and for his obedience and sensitivity to the voice of God we pray right now, Lord, that from this moment that this would be a marker where you, where you would make your call to him sure and clear. God, we know that you've laid a plan out for him, and Lord, we want to help guide him as a mom and a dad and a church family all along the way. We pray, Lord, that this baptism would be a means of grace, that you would put a hedge about him to keep him from the evil one since you've called him to yourself. 
Benjamin David Barker, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get a better Christmas present than I did today. Go be safe, have a Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next year.